Welcome to Fig Tree Watchers. Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, we're going to look at the last exhortations to the Church of Thessalonica. And we're going to see that it's really an exhortation to the Church of the End Times. So stay tuned. That's next on the West Coast Gospel Hour. And uh, as we're going through this, it is only appropriate that we have a song that is called Sing on the Battlefield. Because basically, this is what Paul is describing here. He's telling us and he's exhorting us in these final thoughts of, in his first epistle on how the Christians, the believers, the saints should be reacting in the last days. And that's going to be what we're going to be discussing tonight as we go through the final series on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 28 that will be next here on the West Coast Gospel Hour um want to remind everyone that uh, as we're inviting guests in and we want to welcome everyone that's here that uh, you can listen to the replay of this Instagram live here on Instagram and uh, you can also uh, listen to it on podcast form on all the major platforms, Spotify, uh, Apple, uh, Google. Uh, we'd love for you to come check us out, listen to the, to the replay, the rebroadcast uh, on those podcasts. And then don't forget, you can visit us at figtreewatchers.com, our website. A lot of interesting resources. And if you are someone who's in need of a Bible, we want you to reach out to us. Click on the email. uh, Let us know you need a Bible and we'd be happy to get one to you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight as we get ready to get into the Word of God and seek after what He is trying to teach us. And that's why I want to say we want to sing on the battlefield, right? God is so good. Amen. Um, Before we get started, uh, I do want to pray. And um, so if you wouldn't mind joining me in prayer uh, for those around us who are going through some really tough times. uh, We always want to reach out in prayer and build one another up in the faith. Uh, This is so important. To do, and we want to encourage everyone who is um, seeking after the Lord to grow in their 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 faith a little bit. So let's pray, dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight and we look at Paul's final exhortations to the Church of Thessalonica. Lord, we are asking you, Lord, to teach us something about you that we may grow in our faith, God, that you may transform our heart and renew our mind. Lord, we pray, O God, that you would remove all fear and doubt and worry that we are going through right now here in 2022, that our focus would be fixed singularly on you, Jesus Christ, who is the one who can calm the storm. We thank you for what you are doing this year. We thank you for what you are accomplishing this year, O oh God, and we know that you are with us and we don't have to be afraid. Thank you, Lord. And may God, may the peace of, of God bless all those who s- surrender their heart 
to you, O Lord. May you be with them and guide them through your Holy Spirit and set them apart, consecrate them, O Lord, sanctify them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let us take a look, and I, I want to remind you where we've been in, in 1 Thessalonians. We know that this church is mostly a Gentile church, so the letter is a little bit unique by Paul compared to his other letters. And we have just gone over uh, in chapter the end of chapter 4 and, and chapter 5 um, some deep eschatology, study of the end times, discussions about the Antichrist, um, the rapture. And now Paul, in verse 12, is now issuing out an exhortation. And this exhortation really could be to the church of the last days. It could be for us. Uh, it has the meaning that we should really take deeply here. One of the things that we should really examine is what the word exhortation really, really means, right? What does it mean to be um, exhorted, to, to be built up in the faith? And this is what I would say that, that Peter described. He said, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawlessness of lawless people and lose your own stability, right? Don't lose your stability. Don't be carried away by in lawlessness. This is a really strong verse that uh, comes out of Second uh, Peter um, three seventeen. But also we have this one that seems to come out in in the scripture. It says, "If we walk in the light." As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then there's this exhortation that 1 John 5.16 gives. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that. One should pray for that. What he's talking about is he's exhorting you to build one another up, pray for those who are struggling in sin, care for them who are weak in the faith, right? Um, and this is that, that idea. In fact, yesterday we read from Psalms 1, 1 through 2, and here's this phrase, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What Paul is really exhorting here, and what he's encouraging this group of believers at Thessalonica, is the idea that they are set apart. They are not of the world. They are separated. They are a, a people, a holy people. In fact, if you come to 1 Peter uh, two nine, you read, but you are a chosen race, right? The church is; it's a predestined mechanism, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
And this is the idea that Paul has for this church. He is calling this church, Thessalonica, to be separated, to be set apart out of the world. And so there's three areas that Paul is about to discuss. And we're going to read them. And I'm going to give you these three reasons and then we'll read the passage. The first thing that he gives out is that this church, okay, the leadership of this church needs to be set apart. And Paul gives you clues to understanding a godly leadership in a church setting that is set apart. The second one is he gives you a congregation that is set apart. He's giving you what it looks like, a congregation that is biblically set apart, what that congregation behaves and does. And third, and finally, he shows you what a biblical congregation that prays that is set apart looks like, how how a praying congregation is set apart biblically. And we're going to look at those three areas. But let's begin and read the scripture for tonight, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. So good to see so many of you here tonight. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, reading this, you you get a list, a laundry list that Paul is giving this church of Thessalonica. And it starts out very strongly He says he urges you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, here's three things that we understand about the leadership that Paul is describing, what a godly leadership looks like in a church. Number one, a godly leadership labors among the congregation. They don't labor over the congregation. They labor among the congregation. There is a huge difference there. They are involved in the congregation. And I I tell you what, this was one of the earliest lessons that I received from my dad when 
Um, I was preaching with him every other Sunday, but it was one of those parts of the discipleship. He would, on the Sundays I wasn't speaking, he would make me sit in a different place. He asked me to do this in the congregation and pray for people. And I really got to know quite a few of the members of the congregation by doing that and praying for them as they would walk in. I'd, I'd sit and talk with them, ask them if I could pray for them. And I found out how many needs they had in their families and what was going on in their life and what they were going through. And um, one particular woman who, who I would do this with constantly, when she passed away, she insisted and her family insisted that I do the funeral. Uh, and it was kind of, my dad was actually floored by it. He was like stunned that they wanted me. They actually asked for me and I was, uh, I was stunned. And it turned out that all those times that I had ministered to her and prayed for her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that that meant so much to her that it was the most important thing to her. And she described this to the family that that those times when I would sit with her on those every other Sundays and that I wasn't preaching, that I would pray with her over her family, that was the most important thing to her. And this is what it means to labor among the congregation, not over the congregation. Some preachers of churches, they have no desire whatsoever to get involved in the congregation. You go to Joel Osteen's church and it's of the thousands. Joel Osteen's not outside shaking hands with every pe person that walks by. You know what's odd is that the church I go to, Jack Hibbs, it's a, it's a big church. But Jack Hibbs goes out of his way all three services to go out and meet people who are there. He shakes hands. He talks to people at the end of, the, of every service. Not just one service, but all of them. He goes out of his way to do this so that he's grounded and that he remembers that he's laboring among the congregation. The second thing that I think is really, really important is that those who are over the congregation in spiritual matters, they must be in the Lord. In the Lord. Listen to what it says. And are over you in the Lord. This is quite important because they cannot be over you in the flesh. They have to be over you in the Lord. And it's over spiritual matters. Matters that are not of spiritual nature, they're not to be over you. Right? It's of the spiritual matters that you look for in a godly pastor. Now you can come to him and say, hey, I'm looking to some advice on, on this business matter or whatever it is, if the Lord wants me to do that, he should sit there and pray with you over it. But he's not there to uh, order you around, to tell you what mistakes you're making. No, he's doing everything in a biblical, grace-filled manner with lots of love, patience, and he's doing it all in the Lord. He's walking in the Holy Spirit. And third, this is the most important thing because we kind of forget this one. A godly leadership, a biblical-based church admonishes you, admonishes you when you are doing wrong. That word admonish means gives you, it's like a biblical correction, a biblical correction when you're doing wrong or even when you're on the wrong side of the track or when you're headed in the wrong direction. It biblically admonishes you to put you back on the right path. 
So many churches don't want to do this. They want to give you a feel-good sermon that makes you feel good about yourself, tickles your ears, makes you laugh, has a couple of jokes in there, you know, that that makes you just feel, ooh, nice and cozy and good, but doesn't ever call you out on what you're doing wrong. We've been talking a lot about fear. Don't be afraid. Just don't. Let 2022, it's going to be a rough year. It's going to face persecution. But don't be afraid. And you would be surprised by the number of people who have messaged me and said, I can't believe you're talking about this. I wanted to turn you off. One person said, I wanted to stop listening to you. But I knew what you were saying was the truth. And God has been dealing with me over my fear. And... I think that that is exactly what, I'm sorry, I'm stuttering here, admonishing someone to give up their fear and to put their trust in the Lord, to give them biblical correction. That's what a godly leadership looks like. But it goes even more. It says in verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, not for their preaching's sake. Not for the car they drive, not for how big their church is, but for their work's sake. What are they doing in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they a church? Are they leading the church in prayer? Are they leading the church in sound biblical doctrine? Are they leading the church in scripture? Are they leading people to Christ? Are they baptizing people? I got to say this again, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to plug Jack Hibbs here and apologize for that, but I'm, I'm really saying something that I see, think is very sound about Jack Hibbs, okay? The baptisms that he does are record setting, but he doesn't sit there and do them all by himself. He has the other staff members come out, and you've seen the pictures, thousands. I mean, one, one the first baptism I went to was 1,300 people got baptized. Another one I went to was higher than that. And I baptized some of the the very people that listen here. They, they came out and they got baptized. And it was interesting to me because when I approached the idea with the church that I would like some of the people who have come to Christ on Instagram to get baptized, they were like, yeah, of course. Let's let's help you out with that. We'll, we'll be there. There was no animosity. There was no, well, they've got to become members of this church. They need to sign the thing. They asked me the question, well, have you brought them through? Did you do this? Did you do that? They asked me the question. I'm like, yes. Okay, then we trust you. Great. Let's go. Let's get them into the kingdom. Let's get them baptized. You know, and I, I was so refreshing because this church wasn't trying to control the situation. They were laboring among the people They were doing it for the work's sake, for the kingdom of God. They were putting aside their egos. And that to me was wonderful. And this is why the verse says, be at peace among yourselves. If you have a congregation that is, where the biblical leadership is focused on Jesus and is always presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have a biblical leadership that literally allows the congregation to be at peace among themselves because they 
are wanting more of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our peace. He is our peace that passeth all understanding. And I think that that's really, really good. In fact, a sound biblical leadership produces the peace that passeth away uh, that passeth away all understanding, right? It provides the peace of Jesus Christ to the congregation. I am stuttering over my words today. I don't know why. So I apologize. The second point that we look at is what does that biblical congregation look like that Paul is exhorting here that he's calling to be set apart so we know how the leadership looks like that is set apart that is not of the leadership of the world but is a leadership of the the kingdom of God right now what about the congregation well he says in verse 14 he says now we exhort you brethren warn those who are unruly so a sound biblical congregation warns those who are unruly, who are in the world, who are living a life of sin and are in lawlessness and in rebellion, right? Sound biblical congregation warns them. There, hey, there's consequences to your action. Well, that sure doesn't sound like the world today, right? Doesn't sound like a lot of churches warning them. It's like, hey, you know what? You can do whatever you want. Just do, be free. Oh, you want to you wanna have a cross-dressing moment in the church? Absolutely, go ahead and do that. That's what the world is saying, but that's not what Paul is saying. And in the last days, he's warning this church in the last days, right? Warn those who are unruly. Number one. And one of the reasons why I really believe that this is really for the last day church, the church of the end times, he then says this, comfort the faint-hearted. Why? Because we're watching great tribulation take place all around us. We're seeing the uh, end times really unfold right before our very eyes. And for some of us, we're becoming faint-hearted. We're starting to really worry about it. We're becoming stressed about it. We're becoming angry about it, in fact. And part of the duty of a sound biblical congregation is to comfort the faint-hearted within the body of Christ. And this is how you know you're at a good church. Number one, they're warning those who are unruly, who are living a lifestyle of sin and, and doing the ungodly and living in rebellion against God, but they're comforting the faint-hearted at the same time. They're not... Separate churches, there's one church doing both tasks. Then he, he goes on, uphold the weak. So the next thing you do is to uphold the weak. A sound biblical congregation upholds the weak. And that is what we as believers need to do. We need to warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and then finally be patient with all. Be patient with all. You know, this is so important because Paul describes this in, in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, love is patient, love is kind, right? The more you love God and love others, the more patience you're going to have. You're going to actually pursue patience. In fact, I always tell people this, you really want to have a great marriage, be, learn how to be patient with your wife. Love is patient, meaning you can't love if you're not patient. You can't. You want to learn to love others? Beg God for more patience. We shouldn't be running from patience. We should be running towards patience. 
And then he tells the congregation, again, exhorts them, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Look, if you're being wronged, don't return that wrong with a wrong. In fact, do live justly, right? It's what God desires us, to live justly, to, pers- to do mercy, to uh, walk humbly before the Lord our God, right? Justice is what we should pursue, but we don't pursue the idea of wrong for wrong, an eye for an eye. That's not the way we, we walk as believers. In fact, we always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. For all. Wait a moment. For all? Yeah. You mean I, I have to pursue what is good for even the sinner that's not in my congregation? Yeah. How are you going to win them to Christ? L- listen to these words because these are contrary words to the world. You look, in Islam, it's okay to lie to the infidel. I've always thought that ironic, that in Christianity, you can't lie. You're not allowed to lie. Why, how would you win? It, it, it astonishes me this. I want to ask the Muslim this. What makes you think you're going to win me to Islam if it's okay for you to lie to me? Why would I want that kind of religion? Right? He was stunned. He, he didn't know what to do. He was like, I, I have no idea. I mean, that's in your Quran, right? It's okay to lie to the infidel. Well, then why would I ever want to believe your faith? Because if you're a liar, then your God is worthless. You don't serve a, a holy God. You serve a worthless God. And that is exactly the case. As Christians, we're to pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Integrity matters. And this is what a biblical congregation should look like. And then finally, we come up to Paul encouraging the church what biblical prayer needs to look like in the end times for a congregation that is set apart from the world. This is so important. Number one, that congregation needs to rejoice always in prayer. Always. Number two, that congregation needs to pray without ceasing. Needs to pray without ceasing. In everything, it needs to give thanks. Number three, it needs to give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Think about this, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Why? Because it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For you. Number nine, verse 19 then says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So a biblical congregation that is deep in prayer for others, that has a a strong um, endowment by the Holy Spirit on them, does not quench the Spirit. It doesn't at all. And it does not despise prophecies. I love this because it's two things. It's looking at prophecy to guide them in the future right? It tests all things. It holds to what is good. How does it test those things? It does it through knowing the scripture, knowing the Bible, studying God's holy word. So a sound biblical congregation doesn't quench the Holy Spirit. It doesn't despise Bible prophecy. 
and it tests all things and holds fast to what is good by studying the word of God, knowing the word of God. Remember what Jesus said, you err because you do not know the scripture, nor do you know the power of God, right? So don't quench the Holy Spirit, know your Bible, right? Hold fast to what is good, test all things. And then finally it says, that biblical congregation needs to abstain from every form of evil. Paul is telling Thessalonica, abstain, be on a diet. Don't even come close to touching, you know, avoid at all costs everything that is evil. Everything, every form of evil. Well, what about gay marriage? Can we have gay marriages in the congregation, in the church? Paul would say no. Well, what about, you know, cross-dressing Bible reading time in the church? Paul would say that's, you need to abstain from that. Well, what about, you know, teaching doctrines that are kind of okay, but not biblical? No, Paul would say, no, they're not okay. Because if they're not biblical, you shouldn't even be bringing them in. It's a false doctrine. Well, what about the prosperity gospel? No, abstain from it. Stick to what the word of God teaches. Avoid these false doctrines. Abstain from all every form of evil. Lying, sexual abuse, all those things you need to stay away from, right? What did he tell uh, Timothy? He said, he warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2-7, for people will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Abstain from every form of evil basically what Paul is saying. It was what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2-7. Abstain from it. Avoid these things. And finally then, Paul issues a prayer of, of himself. And, th and this is the third prayer of the book of 1 Thessalonians. There's been three other prayers, one at the beginning, one in the middle. Now this is the third prayer. And here he's uttering this idea uh, for the congregation in biblical prayer, what it looks like in setting yourself apart completely from the world, right? He says, now may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely, set you apart completely, not partially, not halfway, not kind of, but completely set you apart. That's what the word sanctify to set you apart completely. Where? In Christ Jesus, right? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart. That means you have to surrender and allow Jesus to set you apart himself. By what? By the blood of Jesus, who washes away all the sins of all mankind. You have to allow God to set you apart himself. 
Not you setting yourself apart by what you think is morally correct, but allowing God himself to set you apart through the blood of Jesus Christ, through repentance and godly sorrow that produces the repentance that leads to the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life. And he wants to sanctify you completely, not partially, not kind of, not halfway, but completely. And may your whole spirit, notice that, there's that word whole, all, all of your spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I told you this is an exhortation for the church of the last days. There it is at the very end. He's telling you, hey, be ready at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, your whole spirit, soul, and body. How do you do that? How do you get your whole spirit, soul, and body ready, preserved, right? You're preserved by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption, okay? For the coming of the Lord. It's really what it's talking about there. But also, we have this idea through the scripture, acknowledgement of it is what Jesus said, right? What's the greatest commandment? He was asked by a scribe. And he told the scribe, oh, hear, O Israel, there is but one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So you preserve yourself in blameless by loving God, loving others, but by believing in Jesus that Christ came into the world in the flesh, died for your sins, and on the third day was risen from the dead by God Almighty, so that you yourself, if you believe in him and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You preserve your whole spirit, soul, and body through belief in Jesus Christ. And you will be preserved blameless by the Holy Spirit who seals you for the day of redemption at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because he says this verse in 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful. God is faithful in his call and he will do it. He will do what? He will save you if you believe. He will save you if you believe. He will do it. It's a guarantee, Paul is telling you. And then finally, Paul outlines this for the godly congregation. He says, pray for us. A godly congregation prays for those in the congregation and those outside the congregation. They pray for all believers. He says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. This is not literally going out and making out with people in the congregation. It's not what it's saying. It's saying just greet one another with godly affection. Loving the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, loving God and loving others. And then there's this ending, and I, I think this is so important because Paul in verse 27 says this very strong thing. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. This is so important because he's not saying read it to some. He's telling you, you need to read it to all the holy brethren. Everyone needs to read this. Why? 
And he says, I charge you by the Lord. By the Lord. That by the Lord Jesus who told me to do this, I'm charging you, read this to everyone. This is so important. In fact, if you have joined us for this First Thessalonians series and you've listened to every single episode that we've done here on First Thessalonians, you've actually read the entire book because we've read it verse by verse out loud. We do this expositorily. We teach through it. You've read every single verse of First Thessalonians. Congratulations. This may be the only book you've read, right? For some of you. But you've read the, you can honestly say now, I've read an entire book of the Bible, First Thessalonians. And it's important because Paul is telling you, I charge you to read this. I have a question for you. How many churches, if you've, for those of you who have attended church, right? Have you ever read, uh, has the pastor ever preached from First Thessalonians? I can tell you some of the churches I've been in. I can know for a fact that, that there was one church, eight years I was there, never read First Thessalonians. And that was because the pastor there did not want to talk about the end times. He said it was a scary thing and I don't want to discuss it and quit bringing it up. Those were his words to me when I asked him. But Paul is saying, no, this is an important letter. Why? Because he told us earlier in verse 11 of chapter 5, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you're doing with with what this is talking about. We comfort one another with these words, right? For God did not appoint us to wrath, he says in verse nine, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So these are important words. And this is why we need to read your Bible. Anyone says, well, you don't need to read your Bible to be saved, wrong. Paul says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. So a biblical congregation that prays, that has strong leadership, that is doing what it's supposed to be doing, also reads their Bible. And that's why Paul ends verse, with verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let grace abound. If you are living like this biblical congregation with biblical leadership and doing it with biblical prayer, then grace will abound. Grace will abound in your life. It's a promise from Paul. So we are preserved in the righteousness of Christ awaiting his return and he will save us he will definitely save us. We need to pray for others. We need to pray for ourselves. We definitely need to read the scriptures and we need to live in the grace of Jesus Christ. This is an incredible exhortation that Paul gives the church of Thessalonica, but I will tell you again, it is definitely an exhortation for the church of the end times. It's an exhortation to you and I on how we need to live, how we need to look at godly leadership in the church, a biblical congregation, how it needs to live and how that biblical congregation needs to pray in the last days, how they need to read the word of God in the last days. I hope this encourages you 
And I want to thank you for going through the the book of First Thessalonians with us here on Fig Tree Watchers. I will tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed First Thessalonians. Um, it's it's been an amazing journey because I've learned a lot in preparing the lessons for this, um, especially. Uh, um, with all the deep questions that a lot of you asked uh, after each lesson. Now, tomorrow night, uh, normally is topical Thursday night. I am not going to be available. So there isn't going to be a Bible study tomorrow night. Um, I'm actually, my mom is not doing well and I'm going to go up and see her. And so I'm going to be on the road tomorrow night um, as, um, as normally I would be teaching a lesson. So uh, pray for me. I'm going to be gone um, Friday and Saturday. I will be there for, um, for Friday night, uh, Prophecy Night, as we go through the news events of the week on Friday night and how they relate to Bible prophecy. And um, I also will be back for Saturday Apologetics with Io from Mitsu Study who will be joining me on, on that as well. Um, what we're going to do on Wednesday nights is... I'm going to go and finish up 1 Samuel. So we're going to finish up 1 Samuel. So on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we're going to continue to go through 1 Samuel. Monday nights, we'll continue to stay in the Gospel of Mark. When we get through 1 Samuel and Mark, we're then going to start up 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to start um, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to go through that whole book. Then we're going to go through Colossians. So I wanted to let you know what is going to be happening in the next couple of months, where we're going biblically. Um, uh, and then we're going to kind of go back to the book of Revelation. Uh, I've been preparing for this for quite some time to go back to the book of Revelation. We're going to really go through it uh, solidly um, because there's a, a bunch of stuff that I, I really, really want you to see that's going on. And how it relates uh, with the Book of Revelation and Zechariah. So we're gonna we're gonna be doing some really cool stuff uh, in that, which means that we're also gonna go through the Book of Zechariah. So keep that all um, in your mindset as you are setting yourself apart from the world, um, meaning you are still ministering to those who are in the world, but you are not of the world. Why? Because your kingdom is with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching uh, tonight here on Fig Tree Watchers on Instagram Live. Uh, remember, you can see the replay and you can always listen to the podcast. And for any other resources you need, reach out to us at figtreewatchers.com. You can email us there, especially if you need a Bible. Thank you and may God bless you. May he strengthen you. May he keep you. And may his grace shine upon you in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good night, everyone, and God bless.